Well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. This morning we are in Matthew chapter 13. We've been in Matthew chapter 13 for the last several weeks, and uh, we are working through some of the parables of Jesus at this point, and we are landed in Matthew chapter 13, and we've been dealing with the kingdom parables of Jesus. And we're going to continue to do that today. We're going to be looking at verses 44 through 58. Matthew 13, 44 through 58 this morning is where we're going to be at. Let me pray, and then we will dive into to the Word. God, we thank You for this day and for this opportunity to gather together as Your church, God drawn us together as a body of believers in this local church here. And God, we thank You for the opportunity uh, once again to freely gather together with one another to worship and to hear Your Word preached, Lord. And today as we walk through this text, would You allow us an understanding of, of what it says and how it might apply to our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the last several weeks, as I've mentioned, we are working through the kingdom parables in the book of Matthew. And not only do these parables tell us uh, what the kingdom of heaven is like, but, but they also answer some important questions for us. Questions I'm sure that, that you have had, questions that people in the, in the world have, right? Why are there so many unbelievers in the world? Why does God allow evil to continue to exist? And this week, we're going to answer the question, why would you want to follow Jesus. And that's a question that we all need to be able to answer. You see, if we're just after comfort or status or a feeling when it comes to our, our, our relationship with the Lord, when hardships come, well, we're not going to stick around. We're, we're not going to continue to follow Jesus. You see, Jesus did not promise our best life now. Instead, Jesus told His disciples in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. You see, Jesus is telling us that the Christian life is not going to be easy at all. Following me, Jesus says, is not going to be easy. You're going to have to bear a cross. And the cross was a Roman symbol of death. It was a, a torture device that they used. And if you aren't willing to do that, if you're not willing to, to bear this cross, to, to walk with me down this path, then do not follow me at all. And hearing that, why would you want to follow Jesus? If, if, so, if, you are, if you are someone living in the world right now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, what makes following Jesus more appealing to those of the world? Why would you want to follow Jesus? I mean, it seems as if the world offers so much. Wealth and status and acceptance, a, a good time, freedom. I mean, isn't following Jesus limiting? Isn't it devoid of fun? Why would you want to follow Jesus? These are the questions that people are asking. These are the questions that as followers of Jesus, we need an answer for. We need to be able to answer those folks' questions who are asking that. Why would you follow Jesus? 
Well, we began with the parable of hidden treasure. In Jesus' day, people, they did not go and, and put their money in, in the bank or valuables in a safety deposit box for safekeeping like we do today. You know, you didn't make anything like we do today. You put your money in the bank and you gain interest. You put your money in a mutual fund, a retirement account, or something like that, you gain interest back for those folks being able to utilize your money to give out loans and things like that. People didn't, didn't do that back then. They didn't gain interest from people in that particular way. Their FDIC did not exist. Nothing insured your money. So if you gave your money to a banker, well, it was a very risky endeavor. Instead of giving their money to someone, what these people would do is they would get these clay jars and they would put their valuables and possessions and money in that and they would go and find a, a place in a field somewhere that was just inconspicuous, nobody would ever know, and they would dig a hole and they would put their stuff in there for safe keeping. And then whenever they needed it, they would go back to the field and dig things up. And that's exactly what we see here in this particular parable. But because society was very volatile... People uh, were conquered, people died, you know, we didn't have great medical care like we have today. You know, people might just pass away and nobody would know that this treasure was in a field. And so it would lay buried there in that field until someone found it. And that's exactly what happens here. Look at verse 44. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and buys that field. And so picture this man, he is working in the field. Most likely this man is a day laborer. He's digging to build something, or maybe he's digging to plant some crops in this particular field. And as he is digging, he uncovers this treasure. He hits treasure. And he realizes what he has just found, what he has just uncovered. And so he quickly covers it up, and he and he goes to firm up his finances in order to purchase this particular field. Now, you may be thinking, well, man, that, that is not honest. I mean, why didn't he go and, and tell the person that he was working for, the person who owned the field, that there's treasure in the field? Well, in Jesus' day, if you found treasure hidden in a field, it was rightfully your treasure to have. And instead of there being any sort of discrepancy um, around this, he just said, well, I'm just going to buy the field. No one will will be able to dispute that this is my treasure because it's in my field and I am the one who dug it up. And that's exactly what this man did. But remember, this guy is a day laborer. It's not like he has a lot of money saved up. It's not like he probably has a, a treasure hole somewhere that he needs to go and dig up. No, this man is a day laborer. He doesn't have all of this money that he can just go and pour into this field. And so what does he have to do? Well, he has to go and completely liquidate all of his assets in order to purchase this field. It'd be like you going and selling your house, your furniture, your car, your business, your clothing, your electronics, your kids' toys, anything that you own. It doesn't matter if it has sentimental value or not. It doesn't matter who gave it to you, when they gave it to you, how long ago they gave it to you. Everything with any sort of sentimental value is gone. It is all sold. Anything of value. It doesn't matter what it is. And that's exactly what this man did. He sold a lifetime worth of memories in order to go and purchase this field. And this is extreme. But he's willing to do it because he realizes what he is getting in return. He realizes the value of the treasure that is buried in that particular field. 
And because he realizes what he is getting, he is able to go and sell everything that he has, not begrudgingly, but he sells it with joy. He does so with joy. Now that's the first parable. The second one is, is, is like it, but it has a slightly different, different twist. And so let's look at that before we get into the explanation of it. The parable of the pearl of great value. In this parable, we find a pearl dealer, a pearl merchant, who is out searching for more pearls to, to bring into his business to sell to others. And much like an antique or a, or a glass or a diamond dealer might do. And while he is out searching for a particular pearl to, to, to be able to sell, he comes across a pearl that he deems to be more valuable than any other pearl in all of the world. Look at what he does in verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, the last church that I pastored, there was this couple there, and, and they liked to collect glass. And so anything that was made of glass, they would, they would go around and they would collect that. And this is what they did together. They, they liked doing that together. They'd go to the different flea markets and dealerships and all this stuff, and they would, they would find these these these. these, these glass things and they would purchase them and they would display them in their house and they had all of these cases and all of this nice fancy looking glass that was in their house and it was it was really nice when you would go and, and you would look at that now imagine them going and they are out searching for glass together and they come across what they deem to be the most valuable piece of glass in all of the world the person selling it they, they know kind of what they have but they don't really know what they have they don't value it as much as this couple does they don't value it as much as other people in the glass community and so this couple decides we have to have that piece of glass there's nothing that i want more than this one particular piece of glass but they don't have the money to to purchase it outright and so what they do is they go home they gather everything up they, they sell it all and these folks they owned it they owned a farm as well and so they, they sell their farm. They, they sell all of their cattle, all of their tractors. They sell everything that they had. The house that they built together when they first got married. The, 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 all of the glass and all the memories that went, went, went along with every single one of those pieces is all gone. And that's what this guy did in his parable. He, he's a pearl dealer. He knows the value of the particular pearl. And like the man in the first parable, this man liquidates all that he has to buy this one pearl. Now what's the difference with these two parables? Well, the difference between the two parables is that this guy doesn't get land that he can work. He doesn't gain any treasure that he can use to, to buy, to provide for himself. All he gets is a single pearl that he can put on display. Essentially, he is impoverishing himself for this collector's piece. And if somebody did that today, we would think, man, that person is absolutely crazy. Like, I can't believe you would sell everything just so you can have this pearl or just so you can have this one piece of glass or just so you can have a baseball card that you can walk around with and tell people, hey, I have the most valuable baseball card in all of the world. We would think, man, this person is crazy. I cannot believe that they would do that. But this man is willing to suffer the consequences. He's willing to impoverish himself because the gain that he gets from owning this one pearl is worth it. And that's what Jesus is trying to drive home here about the kingdom. The kingdom is worth everything. 
It is worth all of the consequences that comes along with it. It is worth all of the suffering that comes along with it. It is worth it because the kingdom is the most valuable thing in all of the world. Jesus' kingdom is more valuable than anything the world can offer you. This is the point that Jesus is trying to drive home with these two parables. Nothing we own can bring us more joy and more satisfaction than being a part of the kingdom of God. And why is that? Why is Jesus' kingdom so valuable? Well, this is where our next parable comes in, the parable of the net. Look at verses 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so Jesus here, he pictures this common task that fishermen would do on a daily basis. So they would, they would throw out a net, they would gather all of these fish into the net, they would pull that net ashore and there would always be fish in there that were not good for eating. Fish that, that you did not want to keep. Fish that you could not sell. And so the fishermen, they would have to then take this large catch that they had and they would have to go through the net and they would have to throw back or just discard those fish that were not good for eating, those fish that they were not going to keep. And they would keep all of the good fish. The ones that they could eat, the ones that they could sell. And Jesus compares the fishermen here to the angels at the end of the age coming and picking out all of the bad fish and, and throwing them away. And the, the angels will separate the evil from the righteous, much like we did with the parable of the weeds when we looked at that a few weeks back. But those who turn to Jesus, they won't experience God's wrath. You see, instead, they will experience a restored relationship with the Father and they will gain eternal life. But those who are cast out, they are cast out into eternal fire. They are cast out into punishment. But those whom are righteous, those who believe in Jesus, that is not the experience that they have. Those who are part of the kingdom, those who follow Jesus, they are no longer enemies of God. Their relationship has been restored because Jesus paid the price for their sins. Jesus stood in our place. Jesus took our punishment that we deserve. And all those who turn from their sins, all those who follow Jesus are free from having to face God's punishment. They experience peace with God because their relationship with God is made right. Now, you think, well, how great is that? How, how valuable is that? It's worth more than anything that this world could ever offer us. Jesus is offering us eternal life in an eternal kingdom where there's peace and joy for all of eternity. This is what Jesus is offering us. He is offering us the ability to escape the fires of hell, to escape punishment. He is offering us a restored relationship with the Father. He is offering us the ability to accomplish the purpose that God has given us from the very foundations of the world to bring glory to Him. Jesus is saying, this is what you can have if you are part of My kingdom. This is why My kingdom is so valuable. The world is always going to fail us. 
The world is going to hold out promises to us and they're going to promise us happiness. They're going to promise us peace. They're going to promise us joy. They're going to promise us success. They're going to promise us life. Life to the fullest. But the world's promises fail. Time and time and time again. The world's promises fail. But not Jesus's. They will exist for all eternity. His promises will remain true. And the kingdom that Jesus paints for us here in these parables will be there for all eternity. Jesus will always keep His promises. And so Jesus' kingdom is valuable because it provides us with a restored relationship with the Father and eternal life, as well as Jesus' kingdom will never fail us. And all that's great, it all sounds good, but but here's the thing. How do you know if you value the kingdom? You you see that this is what Jesus is trying to drive for. The the kingdom is more valuable than everything in the world. But now the personal question comes, how do you know that you actually value the kingdom? Maybe you call yourself a Christian for a long time. You might be wondering, well, how do I know if I value the kingdom? How would I tell other people that I value the kingdom? How do I assure myself that I value the kingdom? Well, the last parable helps to answer this question. It's the parable of the householder. In verse 51, Jesus asked His disciples if they understood all that He has been teaching them, and and they tell Him that they have. And so He tells them one last parable. Verse 52, He says this, He said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new, and what is old. And Jesus not only compares the disciples to the scribes, the, the learned teachers of the day, but He also compares them to the master of a household. He pictures the master bringing out the old and, and, and the new treasures to show them off. And the old treasures, they represent the teachings that, that everybody would be familiar with. We might refer to them today as the Old Testament teachings. And then Jesus... I mean, then this guy, he brings out uh, the new treasures. And these treasures represent Jesus' teaching. All that Jesus has been teaching the disciples. So what's Jesus' point? Well, Jesus' point is that His disciples are to teach the people how the old coincides with and fulfills the new. Jesus' message of the kingdom, it does not wipe the slate clean we often think well well that's the old testament and so we don't ever have to study the old testament we are new testament people and of course yes we are new testament people more more specifically or more accurately we should say that we are new covenant people because we are underneath the new covenant that jesus has has brought but the new covenant it does not discard the old covenant the new covenant actually fulfills the old covenant As Jesus comes, He fulfills the requirements of the Old Covenant. It makes it possible for us to have a relationship with the Father through belief in Him. This is why the sacrificial system has been done away with. It's not just because Jesus booted it and discarded it. It's because Jesus fulfilled it. He is the once and for all sacrifice. He is the high priest of all high priests we see in the book of Hebrews. And so Jesus did not just discard the Old Covenant covenant and the old system jesus fulfilled the old covenant and the old system and he brings in this new system or he brings in the new covenant and that is exactly what the disciples are to show 
there to talk about the kingdom and how the kingdom fulfills the old covenant. But why would his disciples want to do that? I mean, Jesus is telling them to do that, but, but you have to know that, that you've got the scribes and you've got the Pharisees that are already looking for ways to destroy Jesus because of the teaching that he is bringing. And here Jesus is telling his disciples, well, you need to go and you need to further this teaching. You need to further show these people why the system that they are adhering to is not a system they should adhere to anymore. They need to move into the new covenant. And that's going to cause trouble. That's going to cause persecution. That's going to cause difficulty for them. Why would the disciples want to do that? People are going to reject them. People may seek to kill them. They may seek to beat them. And we see these things happening as you read through the book of Acts. As people are spreading the gospel message, they're being beaten. They're being dragged before you know, people and, and being persecuted and put in jail. And, and some of them are being killed. Why would they want to do that? Well, if the kingdom is valuable to Jesus' disciples, they will be willing to give up everything to teach others about it. You see, those who value the kingdom don't worry about the consequences that are here in the world. They value the kingdom. They value life in the kingdom. They value the eternal life that they are going to receive from the kingdom. This is why we see people like in Afghanistan where we hear about the church being persecuted now. And they are, they are standing firm and, and they are there and they are, they are willing to take that persecution. They are willing to take that martyrdom because they see that the kingdom is more valuable than anything that, that anything in their country or anything in this world could offer them. And this is what Jesus is asking of His disciples. He's asking them essentially to take up their cross and to follow Him. And those who take up their cross, those who follow Jesus, they talk about those things that are valuable to them. You know, I like Apple products. It's no mystery if you've known me, if you talk to me about anything in, in, in electronic-wise, I'll recommend to you Apple products because I think that they are valuable. I think that they will make a difference in your life. I can talk to you for hours about them. You see, we talk about those things that are valuable to us. And likewise, you probably have things that are valuable to you that you like to talk about. That favorite restaurant that you like to attend, that, that you tell everybody about how amazing the steaks are or the enchiladas or whatever it is of the restaurant that you like. Talk to people about a hair salon or maybe that new lawnmower that you just bought that is way better than any lawnmower that you've ever had ever in your entire life. You talk to people about those things that matter to you, that provide you with, with benefit, that are valuable to you. And so how do we know? How do we know if we value the kingdom? Well, I think you can ask yourself several questions here. You can ask yourself, well, is Jesus a part of the conversations that I have with others? Do you talk to your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers? about Jesus. We can talk uh, for hours about those things that we think are valuable to us, and we will go out of our way to talk to people about those things. Do we talk to other people about Jesus? Talking about Jesus is one way we can know, but how else can we know if these things are valuable to us? Well, do you read God's Word? If you value the things of God, you will desire to know the things of God, and God has given us all that we need to know about Him in His Word. You know, we don't have to seek some sort of extra-biblical 
things from people who say that they are in touch with God. No, we can go right to God and we can hear from God ourselves. We can go to His Word. Do we value God's Word? Do we read it? Do you pray? If you think God is valuable, well, you will set aside time in order to speak with Him each and every single day. Do you seek to live according to God's Word? If you think God is, God's Word is valuable, if you think living in His kingdom is valuable, then you will seek to live according to the ways in which He wants you to live in His kingdom. Do you give your money and your time and your resources to kingdom work? Those things we value, we invest in. And so do we invest in the kingdom by giving our money and our time and our resources to the kingdom, to the local church? Do you put Jesus first in your life? The things we value get first priority in our lives. Is Jesus first in our life or does he come like second or third or or fourth or maybe way at the bottom of the list if we have time we will get to the things of the kingdom we will get to jesus but but first we have to do all of these other things is jesus first on your list does he have priority in your life you see we give priority to those things that we value is jesus valuable to you those questions are simple, but I believe that they can help us determine whether we value the kingdom or not. And so do you. Do you value the kingdom? Do you value the things of God? Do you value Jesus? Well, after all we have discussed, there are still people out there who won't value Jesus. And why is that? Why would someone not value Jesus? Well, verses 53 through 58, And when Jesus had finished these parables... He went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now I can't provide all the answers in this sermon why people wouldn't value Jesus. You can look back and listen to some of the other sermons that I've preached on these kingdom parables. But let me provide you just a few reasons that I believe coincide with the text that we are looking at here today, specifically these verses. These verses. The people in Jesus' hometown did not value Jesus. They didn't believe because they allowed His occupation, they allowed His family to skew His thoughts about Him. They concluded that He could not be who He claimed to be. But why else? What are some other reasons that people would not value Jesus? Well, they don't believe that they are sinners in need of a Savior. The general consensus in this world is that we are generally good people, right? We, we do good things. We are good people. We, we help other people out. We love other people. We, we hear stories of people like Mother Teresa and Martin Luther or, or even Gandhi. And, and we, we seek to live lives like them, right? We want to create peace in this world. We want, we want to believe in the good, in the good in people. We want to believe that we are all inherently good, and that is not true. We are not inherently good. In fact, we are inherently evil. Our good, even as those who are unbelievers who present as good, has always got some sort of selfish, ulterior motive to it. We are not inherently good. But we think, well, we are. 
And there are a few bad apples out there, sure, like Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini and Napoleon, right? I mean, there are a few bad people out there, but, but we are nowhere on the same level as those folks. And since we don't see ourselves as a sinner who is living in rebellion to God, who, who desires to sit on the throne of their own life, who desires to do things their own way, we do not believe that we need a Savior. We would say, well, we're, we're basically good. God and I, like, you know, I do a few things for Him, and, and He does a few things for me, and, you know, every now and again I might pop into church, or I might throw a couple dollars in the offering plate. Um, we're, we're, we're good. God and I, we're, we're on a good terms. It could be further from the truth. The gospel presents a very different picture of us. We are sinners, and our sin separates us from God, and the wages of sin is death. It is eternal punishment. Even though we might appear good, we are actually corrupt until we recognize that we will not turn to Jesus. We won't see the value of the kingdom. There are others who are deceived into believing that the world offers happiness. A cursory glance at the world, maybe it provides us everything that we need. Fame and fortune and success and respect and acceptance, you name it. The world can offer that to you. People really believe it because they say it fulfills me. It fulfills my desires. It fulfills my longings. But this is a naive approach to the world. If we pull back the veil, if we honestly look at what the world offers, it does not provide us what we are looking for. It fails us in all kinds of ways. I mean, why do you think that multi-millionaires who are rock stars and athletes in this world, they are dying to drug overdoses? They are in these major depressive states. They go broke after a few years after retirement. And you think, man, this guy has got millions and millions and millions of dollars. There's no way that he should be broke. But they're spending their money on all kinds of things, just trying, searching to find some sort of fulfillment. And they have the means to do it. And so they do it. But they never find the fulfillment that they want in the, mon- in, in, in the world because money and success and fame cannot buy us happiness. It cannot fill the hole in our heart. It cannot repair our relationship with the Father. It can't give us what we really long for. It can't do that for us. And until we realize the emptiness of the world, we won't turn to Jesus. We will continue to value the world over Jesus. Another reason people don't turn to Christianity is because they fear persecution. You know, living as a non-believer is relatively easy in the world. And those who hate the kingdom will persecute those of the kingdom. And Jesus tells us it's going to happen. It happened to him. It happened to his disciples. It will happen to us. We know that's true because people all over the world are persecuted for being Christians. Even so, those people remain his disciples because they recognize the value of the kingdom. But, but those who devalue the kingdom, they say, well, why would I ever want to go through that? Why would I ever want to experience persecution? And so it's this persecution that keeps them from valuing the kingdom because they desire comfort and peace in this world more than in the world to come. Another reason, last reason I'll give you is that they can't accept Christianity's teaching. That's what Jesus' folks in his hometown we see from them. Right? They, they can't accept Jesus' teaching. They can't accept who he is. 
Many today can't accept the teachings of Christianity either, right? They think it's too conservative or, or too ancient or too oppressive or too dogmatic. They cannot accept its teachings for one reason or another, and so they don't run to Jesus. They see no value in following Him. There are many other reasons, but those are just a few reasons that, that people will not follow Jesus. People will reject Jesus, and really what it ultimately comes down to, what all these objections have in common, is that they do not value Jesus. They don't see Jesus as more valuable than anything this world could offer us, and because they don't see Jesus as more valuable, they don't believe that their sin is as bad as it is, they don't realize that He offers more than what the world could ever offer us, they aren't willing to give up their own comfort or even life for Jesus. It is a value problem. The reason people don't turn to Christianity is because they don't realize its value. It's worth like those in this parable do who are willing to go and sell everything and to do so with joy. Their denial of Jesus presents us with a choice. Are we going to devalue Jesus and continue to reject Him? Or are we going to recognize His value and the value of the kingdom that He brings and turn and follow Jesus at all costs? That's the choice that we are left with here. That's the choice that this text leaves us with. From everything that we have talked about today, hopefully it is evident why we should follow Jesus. Hopefully it is evident that, that Jesus is indeed more valuable than anything that this world ever could offer us and that we will be willing to step out in faith and follow Jesus no, no matter what comes of, of it in this world. That we would have our, our, our gaze on eternity, that our hope would be on the kingdom to come when Jesus comes again. And that is where we would focus. That is where we would place our hope. And because we see that as more valuable than anything, we would run after Jesus. You know, I can attest to that, right? I've tried the things of the world. They've failed me. They've left me dissatisfied. They've left a hole in my heart. But the things of God haven't. They have provided me with more joy and comfort and satisfaction. They have filled that hole and that longing in my heart in a way that the things of the world could never do. And if you're a believer here today, you could attest to that as well. Because of that, I want nothing more than the kingdom, and you should want nothing more than the kingdom. And so how about you? Do you see the kingdom as the most valuable thing in all the world? Are you willing to give up everything for the kingdom. I pray that you do because that is the only thing that is ultimately going to satisfy us. That is the only thing that is going to give us life eternal. So turn to Jesus today. Follow Jesus today. He's more valuable than anything that this world could ever offer us. And that's how we can respond today to this particular message. We can respond by believing that Jesus is more valuable than anything that this world could ever offer us. If you're a believer here today, man, recognize the value of Jesus and turn to Jesus and praise Jesus for the salvation that you have. Be joyful when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. And if you're not a believer here today, if you're, if you're watching online and, and you would admit that you are not a believer today, turn to Jesus. 
He is more valuable than anything that this world could ever offer us. He will fulfill our deepest longings and our desire. He will give us eternal life. He will give us that which we long for. Relationship with the Father and life eternal and a kingdom to come that is perfect. And so turn to Jesus today. That's how we can respond. After I pray, Nathan is going to come and he's going to sing for us. And this is an opportunity for us, us to respond to respond to this message that we've heard. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank You for this day and this opportunity again to gather, to open Your Word, to hear, to hear how valuable Your kingdom is, God. I pray that that would be true in our lives, that we would not value anything more in this world than You, that we would be completely and utterly satisfied in You and the things that You provide for us, God. Lord, we also pray for those who may not know you, who, who are unbelievers, Lord, who are non-Christians, who are continuing to seek after and search after the things in this world to seek value and meaning and purpose from those things, God. May you frustrate that, and may you today open their eyes and their ears and their hearts so that they might see that, that you are more valuable than anything that this world could ever offer them, and they would turn to Jesus and believe in him as their Lord and as their Savior. God, work in the hearts of those right now. Work in the, the minds and, and the will of those right now who are listening, who are here, Lord, who may, not, who may not know You, so that they would come and they would turn to Jesus. And this we pray in Jesus' name.